This week on the Back Table Podcast. The thing is that when you talk to gynecologists, not a single gynecologist perceived any turf war with IR. Like, in fact, they actually thought that we had great working relationships, which was so surprising. And the other surprising thing was that when I would approach OB-GYNs about my study saying like, hey, I'm studying kind of turf wars, dynamics or whatnot, they're like, oh, well, that's a stupid thesis project because turf wars don't exist in medicine. Like, they were very sincere in that belief. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And as you dug into it, I really got to figure out where those two things were coming from. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Backtable Podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome. For all of our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. Backtable is a podcast committed to all things IR and endovascular. I'm Chris Beck and I'll be your host today. I'm a private practice interventional radiologist based out of New Orleans. We have a great episode lined up, but before we get to our topic, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, RadPad. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection shields for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information, or you can contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and no-brainer radiation protection cap. If you do get in touch with RADPAD, please let them know that you heard about it from the Back Table Podcast. I'm happy to introduce our guest today, Dr. Eric Keller. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the professional identity of interventional radiology and kind of topics revolving around the IR identity and IR culture. But before we get into that topic, Eric, will you take a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you were originally introduced to this topic? Yeah, definitely. So I am a second year resident, so R1 at Stanford, part of the integrated program, so integrated IRDR residency. And the way that I got involved in it was actually a little bit of a roundabout story, but the short of it is that I originally was going to do palliative care. And so I was doing a master's in bioethics and medical humanities. And for my thesis, it was like, well, I didn't want to rehash informed consent for the hundredth time. So I got really interested in this idea of turf wars of like, what is it driven, what is it driven by and what makes people think and do those things. And so I asked around for case example and people were pretty unanimous in saying, oh, well, IR, IR is the, the poster child of turf wars. And so I'd never heard of IR. That's actually how I came to find the specialty was there, my first research subject. And I got the more and more I studied it, I just got interested in the way that these cultures affect people's ways of thinking and specialties, and particularly in IR as a new specialty, in trying to develop what their identity was. And so I kept doing it over the years, and that's really how I got involved in it. I never thought that this would be necessarily what I'd be involved in, but it was super interesting, and I'm super happy to be in this specialty. Well, that's awesome. So if I hear you correctly, you were actually interested in medical anthropology and, and writing this thesis statement. And it was kind of a backdoor entrance into the world of interventional radiology. And that's how you got plugged into the IR system originally. I like to tell people I fell in love with my research subject, <laughs> that I, I spent enough time around IR that I was like, oh, wait, I kind of, I kind of like what's going on here. And I think this is where I fit in. 
in healthcare. So let's just keep this going. And I think this is actually the residency that I want to do. All right. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, I guess it's, you know, a, a big win for interventional radiology, a loss for palliative care. That's too bad. Can we can we go back a little bit and, and can you explain to some of the listeners who aren't familiar with it, what exactly is medical anthropology? And then on top of that, can we talk a little bit about the methodology whenever you're using to study medical anthropology? Yeah, definitely. So anthropology in general is a study of cultures, a group of people and how they tend to think, interact, their belief systems. And medical anthropology is a subset of that that really focuses on cultures in healthcare, be it either how human cultures affect people's health. So for instance, maybe a medical anthropologist would go to Peru and see how the trafficking of drugs affects people's access to healthcare or how mental health is handled in China versus England, things like that. The other side of it is more of what I do, which is saying, well, what about the unique cultures of different professional groups in healthcare, like healthcare administrators, nurses, technicians, a radiologist versus an ED doc? So that's the other side of medical anthropology is looking at the way different people's cultures affect their way of thinking and interactions, even within healthcare itself, not just outside in, it's also inside out. Interesting. And whenever you're taking a look at uh, like these unique cultures or specifically interventional radiology, what are some of the things that you do to evaluate like the IR culture? I mean, like, it's, I guess it's one thing to like be immersed within the IR culture and talk to a lot of people, but I assume there's some kind of um, uh, research based um, analytical way of like diving into like what exactly is like defining the culture and some of the characteristics of the culture. So that, that was one of the toughest things and the wackiest thing, because I, you know, in undergrad, I was a science major, so more of like a quantitative research background. And that was a tough thing. How, how do you study perceptions and values? Like, and how do you affect account for the fact that someone's perceptions of their values and how they actually act isn't always synonymous? And so there actually is a whole bunch of methodologies out there. But the only thing that I'd heard about was surveys. And I think that's what people use a lot in healthcare. And surveys are great if the question is relatively straightforward, like how many times a week do you do X? But if it's something like turf wars, it's kind of taboo. You're just going to get kind of these short filter responses. And unless you know the right question to ask, you're probably not going to like hit the nail on the head. And so for exploring something like what is the identity of IR or how do they think around certain issues, you kind of have to use something else. So one of the methodologies that I really like is called grounded theory, which isn't necessarily the best name, but it's essentially this idea of that, well, rather than starting with a hypothesis and a sample size, let's just start with a topic. Like I want to understand why IRs, what IRs think about uterine fibroids and how that uh, compares to how gynecologists think about uterine fibroids. So I'll start with some semi-structured interviews with them and observations, semi-structured in the sense that we're going to talk about the same topics across interviews, but Instead, I'm going to let them lead the interview to really figure out what they think is important and to establish rapport with them. And then you use those initial interviews to kind of drive, you do some data analysis, systematically analyze it for themes, context, and use that to collect more and more data until you start hearing the same thing. You can basically predict how anyone's going to respond to your next few interviews. And that's how you know you're done. It's kind of like an asthmatope. Okay, that's interesting. So in originally, you were kind of introduced to this via the topic of interventional radiologists and OBGYNs. 
the topic of uterine fibroid embolizations. And so you conducted a, a first round of interviews, kind of got like some baseline as to how each uh, specialty felt about the topic. And then from there, you were to generate, you know, something that's a little bit more targeted where you could expect the answers. And, and I guess each group would understand the questions and understand what answers that maybe they fit into. Yeah, it's very, it's very dynamic. And I think that's a good way of describing it. And that, that ability to be dynamic lets you be more open to that potential variability and how complex and kind of sticky those sort of topics and questions can be. So that was the idea. It sounded super hokey at first, but it actually works amazingly. You get these amazing quotes and consistency that I don't know how you could get any other way. Very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about what is professional identity? What is IR culture? Like, so define these two terms and like, are these two things the same? Are they different? Um, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So professional identity is kind of the term that's in vogue in medical education that is essentially just this idea of how do you define what makes your group unique and valuable in healthcare? And so in medical education, they like to talk about professional identity formation. How does an orthopedic surgeon start to think like an orthopedic surgeon? Like, does that happen in medical school, residency? What are the key experiences that make that happen? Is it mentorship, et cetera? That's where that term comes from. And then the culture of IR is just what is the specific professional identity of IR? I like the idea of culture. Like, I think when I say professional identity to people, their next question is, what do you mean by that? Whereas if I say the culture of a specialty, I feel like that tends to resonate with people. They're like, oh, you mean like how they tend to act and think? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Whenever I read through one of the papers, it, it kind of talked about some of the develop, um, I believe it was called the developmental pathways of interventional radiology with, there was a radiologic surgeon, um, maybe a surgical radiologist, and then a proceduralist. Can you kind of talk about these three different terms and how they play into, yeah, I guess, either the professional identity or IR culture? Yeah, so after after doing those turf war studies, Bob Vogelzang at Northwestern I was working with got really interested in this idea of studying how the IR identity is developed and what type of people go into it. Because the sense was that it, there was a lot of debate in our specialty between people that kind of say, well, you have to be a good diagnostic radiologist to be a good IR. And then there's kind of this other group that says, well, we need to be more like surgeons and be more clinical in this way. And so we already had this sense that there were these different groups, but we wanted to systematically figure out what those groups were. And so I started interviewing fellows, actually, at the beginning of their fellowship and after their fellowship to try and get a sense of what type of individuals end up in IR. Now it's a little different because you have people like me coming out of med school, but here nor there. And it ends up that initially there were, I thought there were only two groups. There's only three. And the two main groups were radiologic surgeons and surgical radiologists. So radiologic surgeons are more of that group that I was talking about that diagnostic radiology is really just a means to an ends to them, that they really see themselves and identify as surgeons. People like they're surgeons without a scalpel. They really like working with their hands and diagnostic radiology really isn't something they're super interested in and is a big part of how they view their professional role. Whereas surgical radiologists are people who tend to be in that first group that I talked about that see diagnostic radiology as a core part of their identity. And those are usually the people that came to IR later. Like they found themselves in IR, they liked IR, but they wanted a little more patient 
contacts that came over to IR, and they're actually really happy splitting their time between IR and DR in their practice. And then you kind of mentioned, though, that they're the two main groups, but then there was in the paper, it also mentioned a third group, and maybe this is a third and minority part, but the uh, proceduralists, or maybe it was called the clinical proceduralists. Is that right? Yeah. So actually, in the first study, I thought they were just an outlier because there were only two fellows. It was a very small percent that met that, met that bill. I think the reason why is because clinical proceduralists tend to end up in procedural medical subspecialties like interventional cardiology. They're almost all clinical proceduralists. And these individuals tend to, they, they like, liked a lot of different things and they really focus on this clinical narrative and story and making a connection with patients and trying to figure out how is my procedure going to be part of this clinical narrative and whatnot. And they also, like the radiologic surgeons, diagnostic radiology isn't really their thing because it's not, doesn't really help fulfill that clinical narrative part of it. They really want to be talking to patients and being a part of their lives and following up with them for years afterwards. And so that's why, you know, that description, I'm sure it makes sense then to you probably that those people usually end up in internal medicine and then they happen to like procedures a lot. So then they end up doing interventional GI or what have you. But now, for some reason, more recently, more of those individuals are ending up in IR. And I haven't really been able to figure out why that is, because the majority has been the radiologic surgeons and surgical radiologists. But I don't think it's an outlier, because when I repeated the study two or three years later, there were a lot more of them. So it's something different about how people are getting to IR. Yeah, I would assume it may be the new pathways to interventional radiology and that maybe there's more medical like medical student outreach. And so you're reaching a broader audience, like, you know, in terms of, of medical students and, um, you know, maybe there's just, you know, now that you're attracting a certain type of person to the field that previously was, like you said, ending up in internal medicine and, you know, interventional cardiology, rather, but now we're capturing some of those uh, med students. Yeah, exactly. So also in the paper, I was reading about that um, there, there may be an identity crisis uh, somewhat with interventional radiology um, or, or there's identity crises, uh, there's an identity crisis that maybe goes on with a lot of specialties that are like in their early, uh, formation, which I think interventional radiology is where either, uh, you could kind of describe us in a transitional period. Um, can you describe kind of what an identity crisis looks like for a profession or a medical specialty? Yeah. So it's interesting. Part of my thesis is also looking historically, like how does specialization happen and why did we end up in the divisions that we did? Like, why is obstetrics and gynecology together? And it actually is a weird, interesting history if we are interested later. But to answer your question is that in the formation of specialization, there tends to be this period that's a decade or two in almost every specialty where they really have to come to terms with themselves about who they are and what makes them unique. Like what's going to be their niche and their thing that really stands out amongst all these other medical specialties, basically like why they should exist. And pretty much every specialty has gone through that, except there's one which ended up disappearing, which we can also talk about. But for IR being one of the newest specialties, I think that they're also in that identity crisis a little bit. And I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, Earlier, you see it a lot in conferences and discussions about, well, do we need to be more like vascular surgeons and 
you know, have be rounding on patients and take ownership of your patient and have inpatient services in the hospital. And we need to be more like X or other people that, you know, kind of like what we've been doing and think that that's not what makes us unique. Really what makes us valuable and unique is our diagnostic radiology training. And that if you give that up and were to say completely split away from diagnostic radiology, that that would be, that would take away what makes us different than anyone else doing image guided procedures. And so a lot of those conversations, I think, feel unique to the people in them, but actually they're eerily similar to what other specialties we're arguing about as well. It's just the content is a little bit different. I see. Well, I got to go back to, to one question that you kind of touched on is, is what was the specialty that disappeared? Stomatology ends up that before there were dentists, there was an MD equivalent of a dentist called stomatology, like the stoma, the mouth or whatnot. Hmm. Yeah. So stomatologists basically do not exist. In 2000, there was a handful of them in Europe just because different countries specialize differently. But yeah, they, they're probably the only specialty that I've ever come across that became extinct. <laughs> okay. So basically we do not, so that's what we want to avoid. IR wants to avoid the, the route of the stomatologist. Okay. Um, but it's a little unique in how they became extinct. They, they became extinct because a lot of specialization initially was around public health initiatives. And so in the early 20th century, there was this health initiative around oral hygiene and the stomatologists were around, but that was around the same time when medical education got kind of reinvented. And instead of it kind of being this hodgepodge of what was required, we started to get more towards what we know now about these four years of medical education. But at the same time, there are a lot of these non-MD equivalents in almost every specialty and for stomatologists, it was dentists and dentistry only required two years after of like specialized training to do it. So it ended up very quickly. We got to the situation where to become a stomatologist, you had to do four years of medical school and two years of dentistry training. But to become a dentist, you only need to do two years of dentistry training. So they proliferated much faster and ended up kind of out competing stomatologists that eventually disappeared. OK, that makes sense. Makes sense. Market forces. Um, in play here. Moving back into interventional radiology, can you tell us a little bit about some of the the what the perceived strengths of the interventional radiology specialty were? Sure, but it also depends on who you ask. Do you mean by people outside of IR or amongst IRs themselves? I guess both. Yeah, so amongst IRs themselves, I think the radiologic surgeon would say that IR invented a lot of these image-guided procedures and that we are best equipped to perform them and keep innovating upon them. But the only way that people are going to know about us is if we have a clinical service so that people are referring to us to do these image-guided procedures rather than, you know, a vascular surgeon or someone else like that. I think if you ask a surgical radiologist you know, what makes us unique and valuable, they're going to talk a lot more about our diagnostic radiology training, that the difference between IR and a vascular surgeon or interventional nephrologist or et cetera, is that they are a radiologist. They're a board certified diagnostic radiologist, so they can interpret that imaging better. And that's really what makes them unique and valuable and different. So the radiologic surgeon is going to be much more in like technical skill procedures. Surgical radiologists going to be more on the radiology background idea and knowing a lot about a lot of different things, et cetera. And I guess the, 
at least from my takeaway from the paper is that it, it's neither one is right or wrong. I mean, clearly both play into the the specialty, both the diagnostic training and our ability to innovate, think of our, think on our feet and, and um, um, dream up or come up with creative ways to solve complex uh, clinical problems. So moving forward, is it like, what is what does the specialty do to evolve forward, or is it something that just kind of happens where, um, you know, it's not so much a conscious decision about how we want to move forward, or or is it? Um, I, I guess like the question is like, how do you move forward from here, knowing that you have an identity crisis on your hands, and there are these different and competing views about you know how our specialty should be shaped? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a brilliant question. I think that. For some people, it is unconscious historically that it just kind of happened and no one really did something conscious about it. Other specialties did do something conscious to say like, hey, this is what we're going to be about. For IR, it's a little complicated in that historically, specialties have tend to evolve within pretty similar cultures in a way, like uh, fixers remain fixers in a way of like there are general surgeons and then now vascular surgery wants to become a specialty. They still are, are surgeons. So the identity is not that much different, but diagnostic radiology and IR tends to have a very different identity. And so trying to figure out who they're going to be is, is difficult to do consciously. But I think the biggest takeaway that I took away from other specialties evolution is that I think it's a lot more productive to focus on what we are than what we're not. And that's why I I gave this plenary talk a couple SIRs ago about that idea that we spend a lot of time arguing about, you know, are we more, do we need to become more like surgical and clinical or, you know, is that radiology training really the most important thing and stuff. And it's great. Like I get where that's coming from, but at the same time, that's, I don't think that's necessarily what makes us unique. What makes us unique is that we're all those things in a way that we're kind of this interesting hybrid and we use those hybrid skills to then innovate and answer these complex problems. It's that diversity that actually makes us stronger in a way. Sure. And I'm guessing that, you know, the, the Society of Interventional Radiology and, you know, other uh, groups like it, like CIRSI, um, have a large part in shaping um, interventional radiology and where we move forward. Um, are you involved with SIR or um, something like CIRSI or any other um, interventional radiology organizations in terms of of like you giving advice or maybe not giving advice, but letting or bringing more awareness to professional identity and IR culture? Uh, not in that capacity. I for five years, I ran the website for the trainee section of SIR. Now I'm um, pretty involved in SIRs and SIOs, applied ethics committees that they made around my research agenda. But I've never, they've at least they've never reached out to me to be involved in, you know, giving thoughts or trying to talk to people about what our identity is and ways to kind of consciously shape what that culture is. I'd be super interested in it, but you know, I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right. For those audience members who are SIR um, personnel, feel free to get in touch with Eric. We'll, we'll have some um, contact information in the show notes. Um, taking, taking a little bit of a, a left turn. Can we talk about um, maybe not so much like uh, interventional radiologists own awareness of, 
of what their professional identity is, but um, maybe a, a problem or an issue with public awareness or yeah. what people's or the patient's understanding of an interventional radiologist is. Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a lot of studies basically showing that most people don't know what, who we are, or what we do. I mean, even, even in the term, right. When you say interventional radiologists, I'm from the Midwest. So when I say that I'm in interventional radiology, I think most people's first response is, oh, you're the one that takes the pictures. But you know, that's wrong on two accounts that even if I was in diagnostic radiology, I'm not necessarily the one taking the pictures and in IR, it's a, another degree removed. I can actually identify with that also in that I t- told my parents I was an interventional radiologist and my, my mother asked me, she's like, oh, so you take the pictures. And when I told her, no, I wasn't the one that took the pictures. Then she was like, well, what do you even do? I mean, yeah, not, like, only, what's the point? not, not <laughs> only was she mistaken, but she was disappointed. No, same. They're like, then what's the purpose? They're like, right. if, if they're taking the pictures, then why do they need you? I, but it's tough. I think that SIR or IR for a long time has struggled with right, what's the right thing to call themselves. And in a way, historically, they weren't a public facing specialty, right? Like they're raising from, rising from diagnostic radiology where they're not having a lot of patient contact. But I think it kind of goes back to your, your previous question in a way of that until we really know what narrative we want to convey it's tough really to have a good marketing camp or public relations campaign in a way. Sure. Until you know what exactly you're trying to campaign for. Yeah. I guess that, you know, like I'm, I've been involved a bit with the interventional initiative. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. Very familiar with the interventional. Yeah, so they're, they're all into this, this topic, right. And whatnot. And I think that, they've taken a very interesting stance in doing things like their um, their Netflix, or it's not really Netflix, I guess it's Amazon or they're without a scalpel. Right. That I think that's an interesting thing because historically I can't think of an example like that, especially he's using like social media in a way and stuff like that to kind of put their image out there. So I think that's a very interesting way to, engage with our audience now and kind of where we are as a society and how much, you know, we're online and that's the way dialogue happens now. So I think that's an interesting thing that's going on that uh, is the reason why I wanted to get involved with them. I understand. Uh, that's great. And, and yeah, um, Aaron and I've been um, following uh, the interventional initiative pretty closely and we'll be sure to link up to those guys in the show notes. And for anyone interested, it's some fantastic videos on um, interventional radiologists. Um, and really it's, it's kind of the audience is not so much the IR doc, but um, the general population. And then it, the videos um, kind of show in a, in a very high quality way, how interventional plays into like the, the clinical care of different pathways. Um, so, Again, switching gears a little bit and going to something that we talked on very early in the discussion was turf wars. You said turf war was originally how you started taking a look at interventional radiology and what you were kind of looking at was um, OBGYN, interventional radiology in the setting of uterine fibroids. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what you found in terms of, well, I guess what exactly, whenever you started looking into it, what exactly was a turf war and how, how did you define turf war? The original way that I got interested in it was that 
I guess since I had not grown up around anyone in healthcare, I had this whimsical view that everyone just nicely got along and everyone was like very in tune with everything going on with every single patient and talked about them and everything else. And then I got into healthcare and realized that, oh, there's often this palpable tension between certain groups, you know, be it like doctors and nurses sometimes or anesthesiologists and surgeons. And I thought that was interesting because I was like, well, all these people chose to be in healthcare because they wanted to help people. So don't they have kind of the same goal in a way? But I didn't know. So then I was talking to two people that became my mentors were Bob Vogelzang and then Howard Christman, both at Northwestern and IRs. And we had talked about uterine fibroids, about they felt like, well, IR has been in this turf war with uterine fibroids for years about uterine fibroid embolization. And Howard Crispin was very much of the mindset, which I think is the more common one of, well, it's all about the money, right? I mean, that's the simple thing. And the, the dirty secret of healthcare is that money really matters. And then, you know, Bob Vogelzang was more of the mindset, well, what about these different professional identities? Like we were talking about earlier, like what role do they play? Maybe that's more of what's going on here. So that's how I originally got involved in it. And then and so, did you want me to oh, go ahead? Well, yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah, that, that begs the question. So once once you started looking into it, which, what did you find? Was it more uh, about the monetary gains of the procedure? Or was it more about professional identity? I mean, I suspect since we're talking to you, I, I, I know the answer, but um, maybe, maybe we'd be surprised. Yeah, well, I thought it was going to be all about the money. Maybe I'm cynical, but it actually rarely... <laughs> was in the sense that, yeah, money and ego can be lighter fluid on the fire, but it's actually rarely the kindling at the heart of it. So much so that, because I didn't just study like Northwestern physicians. I studied, I've now interviewed over 400 clinicians across the U.S. and different specialties and practices and whatnot. It ends up that turf wars are actually pretty similar across practice structures, like both in terms of how fiery they are and the content of them. And so the more that I would dig into it, it really was these inherent differences in the way different specialties cultures are that affect how they perceive value and their ways of thinking that we all say the same thing. Like we all say these terms like, oh, well, it's the best thing for the patient or evidence-based medicine. But what that actually means is very different and very tied to the way that different specialties think. And people largely don't, like for as much as we like to make jokes about different specialties, people largely aren't aware of those differences affecting their ways of thinking a lot of times. And then the specialties or practices where or interdisciplinary practices where people tend to get along better were really just those that were more aware of those differences so they could complement each other's skill sets, you know, be like bears versus Vikings rather than linemen versus quarterbacks, so to speak. Sure. So whenever you looked into, if, if we could get into like the, the details of interventional radiology versus OBGYN, can you kind of talk about like some of the ways that interventional radiologists perceive themselves and how their identity played into, you know, whether they thought fibroid embolization was a better fit versus the OBGYN professional identity and why they, why are they may, they may not have thought of fibroid embolization versus, you know, some kind of conservative management or, or hysterectomy. Yeah. So for, for IRs, you know, they were pretty unanimous in their thought process of saying, hey, we embedded uterine fibroid embolization in the 90s as an alternative to hysterectomy, but that gynecologists seem to be reluctant to refer patients for hysterectomy and are just, and if they do refer patients without a doubt, it tends to be 
people with low reimbursement potential, like patients with Medicare and Medicaid. And the general perception was that, well, it's economically motivated because, you know, gynecologists just want to do hysterectomies because that's what they get paid for, was the general perception pretty unanimously. <laughs> and the thing is that when you talk to gynecologists, not a single gynecologist perceived any turf war with IR. Like, in fact, they actually thought that we had great working relationships, which was so surprising. And the other surprising thing was that when I would approach OB-GYNs about my study saying like, hey, I'm studying kind of turf wars, dynamics or whatnot, they're like, oh, well, that's a stupid thesis project because turf wars don't exist in medicine. Like, they were very sincere in that belief. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And as you dug into it, I really got to figure out where those two things were coming from, which... Usually the first thing that I ask people in an interview is what do you do? Because how people describe what they do and why they do what they do tends to be pretty specific to their professional identity. So for IR, when you ask, you know, what do you do? You tend to get a list of procedures, right? Like I do a lot of UFEs, prostate artery embolization, or I do a lot of IO work like ablations and Y90, et cetera, where, well, and because of that, like a key virtue associated with it is the minimally invasive nature of what we do, right? And so yeah. we tend to really prioritize invasiveness and say, well, uterine fibrillamization is the less invasive treatment option. So that should be prioritized first, right? Yeah. So your point's well taken in that if you ask me what I do, I may describe like the top five procedures that I offer, all of which would be minimally invasive and then consequently, my line of thinking is always geared towards, well, minimally invasive is, is extremely important, right? Right, which isn't wrong, right? Like minimally invasive is a key virtue. And so, but the thing is like both gynecology and IR would use the same papers and make opposite points. So for IR, they would use papers and point out the data saying, well, you know, uterine fibrillamization, you're back at work more quickly. There's less complications. And that tends to be the way that we, you know, measure up procedures, whereas, when you talk to the gynecology and ask them, what do you do? You tend to get their patient population. They say, you know, I treat women between the ages of 15 to 55, or I treat women with fertility concerns. And because of that, they tend to really focus on definitiveness a lot. Like what procedure is going to satisfy these concerns long-term? And so in a lot of their minds, there is a lot of diversity. Like some of them will try less invasive things first, but they're pretty unanimous in their perception saying, well, the only definitive treatment option is hysterectomy. And so they'll cite those same papers, but then point out the data on like symptoms recurrence rates and things like that. So it's interesting of like these two specialties that are using the same papers to make opposite points, and, but they largely don't perceive that difference at all. And I found that fascinating. And it also actually explains why they don't believe that turf wars exist is that for them, doing a hysterectomy, myomectomy, or UFE has nothing to do with their professional identity. Their professional identity is all about being the woman's doctor and getting to do like the medical, surgical, and primary care aspects of it. And basically, no other specialty encroaches on that territory. So turf wars aren't really a big part of their culture. They even have whole hospitals, right? And so it's actually these inherent differences that really better explain those dynamics. And I thought that maybe that was just a fluke, but as I've studied more and more turf wars, it's Every single time, that's the end. That's the punchline. See, that that was actually one of the reasons that we thought like you were so important to bring on the show, Eric. Is that it's just just by knowing this, just by having like a fresh look, like another lens to look at, you know, a, a clinical situation or a clinical problem. 
can can change the whole paradigm about you know why people why referral patterns are a certain way or why some people end up with one physician and why some things are under referred some things are over referred there's probably something to be said for the the medical industrial complex and and you know compensation totally. playing into it but i'm sure it's different with you know with different procedures or different professions um what were some of the other uh, turf or you know quote unquote turf wars that you looked into that that also had to do with interventional radiology yeah, so iron vascular surgery is a nice comparison because as I've studied turf wars, there's kind of only two flavors. There's two main flavors of interspecialty turf wars. It's either, you know, we both treat the same condition differently or we both treat the same condition the same. And so IR gynecology is the we both treat the same condition differently. IR vascular surgery is we both treat the same condition the same. So for them, both of their identities are tied to performing endovascular procedures for vascular diseases. And so they both perceive a turf war there, but their reasons for doing it is very different and really underlines a lot of their arguments. So for IR, again, right, it's about being the masters of the procedures that when you ask IRs about the turf war, it's a lot of times like, well, we invented these procedures and can perform them better. And I can argue with them until I'm blue in the face that, they don't know how to use the wire and catheter quite like I do, but it doesn't seem to matter to them. Whereas for vascular surgery, when you ask them, what do you do? Like without fail, they always have this phrase about being the masters of vascular disease. And they feel the need to give you like the percent of venous first arterial work that they do, which is a weird little idiosyncrasy of their specialty culture. Um, but for them, it's much more about being the masters of vascular disease that I can offer treat patients, all treatment options, medical, surgical, and endovascular. So and be, or because I can offer all treatment options, that's why I should be treating these patients as opposed to other specialties. So the thing is that an IR arguing that I can use a catheter better than you really doesn't mean that much because that's not really the reason why they're performing the procedures in the first place. I see. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting way of, or that's a very interesting take on it. And, and like you said, it's not like anyone is, is right or wrong in this scenario. Each, each each doctor is coming at it from their own perspective, and, and that gives us help in understanding where they're coming from. Um, is there any way or, or is there anything that you want to see shaped in terms of this, like uh, moving forward in the next five or 10 years? Well, I mean, I think it'd be cool to talk about this stuff at, uh, at conferences in the way of rather than talking so much about how we can find open blue water or something like that. Um, and outcompete these other specialties, maybe thinking a little bit more inception-like in, in the way of thinking about like, well, what are we about and what are these other specialties about to figure out where we belong within healthcare and then having a more united front to figure out where we should come from, kind of do our marketing research a little bit, I think would be an interesting approach to IR rather than trying to spend so much time, like I was saying earlier on saying what we're not or what we need to become or whatever, kind of taking a step back and being a little bit more introspective and then using that insight to be a little bit more strategic in our approach, I think might be productive, but who knows, right? I'm, I'm new to this culture. So I feel like I'm a little bit overstepping my, my, my position as a resident saying these things, but that's my two cents for what they're worth. And I'd love to be a part of it. Right. So I'd love to do the work. I wouldn't just like put it off on someone else. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's, I think that's the most important part. And I hope, I hope some, um, 
uh, docs here from Society of uh, Interventional Radiology are listening because you sound like a bright guy. And, and like you said, you just want to be a part of the conversation and, you know, help help look at these problems from a different lens in terms of, you know, adding to the conversation and adding to the specialty. I mean, I get it that, you know, professional identity and, and medical anthropology aren't the only conversation, but I thought that was one of the important reasons that we have you on the show is that I think it's a larger part of the conversation that we haven't been discussing. Yeah, totally. I think, I think maybe using these sort of approaches to figure out how the people in our specialty think. I mean, I have a little bit of a, a sense of it from the the work that I've done, but at a larger level, it'd be interesting to get more of an in-depth pulse on how people think, what people think about the value of our specialty and what makes us unique and really focus on that aspect of what we are to kind of figure out what the next best step forward would be is one thing. And then the other thing is that in our interactions with other specialties, since IR is a specialty that interacts a lot with a lot of different specialties, I mean, it might be worth incorporating in some of this, like either into training or whatever else, like how, how do you navigate medical microcultures effectively? Seems like it's an important skill for interventional radiology. For sure. Um, so Aaron is, is texting me a question that he wants me to ask you. And his question is, um, how do, how do you think the talk within the interventional radiology specialty, like calling ourselves something other than interventional radiology or some calling ourselves something more like endovascular specialist? Like, does that move the needle one way or the other? I've, I've thought about that for a long time, actually, because I feel like that, you know, if you're going to critique something, then you better have an, a better alternative. And I don't have a better alternative for IR because the thing is that, you know, if you say like endovascular surgeon, well, are we really surgeons necessarily? I know some people believe that we are for sure, but I think most surgeons wouldn't say that we're surgeons. And maybe it gives people the wrong idea about what we are. And the surgical radiologist definitely wouldn't like that term. Or are we like minimally invasive specialists? But then that's problematic because a subspecialty of general surgery is minimally invasive surgeons. So then that's going to be confusing too. So I've never been able to figure out or haven't heard a good term that would be better than interventional radiology, which then maybe we just need to do a better job selling that term for what it is. Right. Rather than finding out what, you know, is there a better term? Just dig in with the status quo, interventional radiology, and just work moving forward to define the term. Yeah, I mean, maybe you two have a better a better term. I mean, maybe endovascular specialist, but I think a lot of people out there think of themselves as endovascular specialists. So I don't know. I don't know if that helped. And then the word endovascular is also going to be problematic, I feel like, because I feel like the first question the general public is going to be is, what does that mean? Like, well, sure. what's, an, what's an endovascular? <laughs> yeah, I, I we can edit this out. I just want to chime in on this topic because I also feel kind of strongly about it is that um, so I had a I had a former partner Eric um, when I first started doing independent as an independent IR and he wanted to call he wanted to put on his business card that he was a endovascular surgeon and he's an mm-hmm. IR and I and I and he wanted me to do it too and I said no I'm not going to do that you know my wife is a surgeon my wife's an ENT I said my wife's a surgeon she went through tr- surgery residency she was she's not going to let me go around and call myself a surgeon you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's just not going to happen. I said, sorry. And I was like, honestly, I don't think you should do it either because you didn't do a surgery residency. 
And yep. his whole, his whole argument was, oh, well, I can do a cut down. And I was like, yeah, we can all do Mediports. But that doesn't mean that we did it, that we should call ourselves surgeons. Like, just be proud of who you are and what you are. You're an interventional radiologist. And so we kind of came to this happy medium that we would call, we would put on our card, we would call ourselves endovascular specialist. Mm. Um, and, and I was like, that's okay. But, you know, still, it's like, I, I feel like we just need to better educate people on what an IR is. Just like years ago, they didn't know what an obstetrician was, you know? Yep. Well, now they do. And, you know, it, that's not a, that's also a mouthful, an obstetrician. You know, yes, we cut it short to OBGYN, but we, you know, that's why we throw IR around. And yep. so it's just a matter of people knowing what IR is and what we do. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to give my two cents on that. Man, a, a rare, a rare break in the, the <laughs> fourth wall and having the producer come on. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, I think it's an important point. It's it's a controversial topic, right? Because the thing is that when I interview surgeons, they ask me now that I'm like an IR resident, they ask me about that, and I I always jokingly tell them about that trend in the specialty about being surgeons, and they all laugh. Right. Like I'm sure maybe, you know, your wife would say too, if they're like, IRs aren't surgeons, but that would, that would really offend a lot of, a lot of people who are in IR that identify as surgeons. Right. So I've heard a lot of talk in IR amongst my interviewees about that. We need to join the American college of surgeons and get away from the American college of radiology. Right. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure that's ever going to happen, but okay. (laughs) Like I respect where it's coming from. Right. But I'm not sure that's their best foot forward. I really like what you said about, trying to focus on, you know, well, maybe we just need to help people understand what IR is. Maybe the term isn't wrong. Maybe we just need to focus on what we are and selling people on that. Yeah. So going back to when you said that you're from the Midwest and when you say that you're, you know, cause I'm from the Midwest and my dad, you know, if you, if you asked him what I did today, he would, he would fumble over the words, right? He just doesn't, yeah, same. Yeah. he's not, he's not a physician. And so yeah, he'd be like, hey, I some kind of radiologist, you know, does procedures. <laughs> right, right. Um, so one of the one of the questions that I had, and it, it kind of ties into this, is whenever someone asks you, um, you know, what do you do? You say interventional radiologist, or you say I'm training to be an interventional radiologist, and someone said, what what is an interventional radiologist? What what's your answer? Oh man, I'm going to contradict myself right now, though. But usually, I say that uh, that we do minimally invasive surgeries or minimally invasive procedures. And then I usually have another sentence after that to say, you know, like being able to fix something inside you through your vessels or veins or with a little pinhole. Okay. I'm always curious as to what other interventional radiologists, like, you know, your quote unquote elevator pitch. Like if you had to tell someone what you do in a brief statement, I've always, when, when people ask me and it comes up all the time, um, because you don't want to bore somebody to death by giving all the ins and outs of your specialty. But I say, do you know x-rays, CTs, MRIs, and ultrasound? And, and people will usually say yes. And I'll say, why do minimally invasive procedures and slash or surgeries using x-ray, CT, MRI, or ultrasound? And they'll usually give one to two examples like a deep tissue biopsy. Or if you have a vein or an artery that's closed down, I might go in and open it up. Um, but you know, actually, it, it may be a good thing. Um, maybe we can pull some of the back table listeners and ask people to send in some of their elevator pitches. It, I don't know if it'll be helpful for for you know future um, topics that you could explore, uh, Eric, or or maybe it just might be just uh, fun to read out or put out on our Twitter feed. It'd be super interesting to see how people present themselves. I mean that 
that's that's why in the interviews I ask people what do you do regardless of the specialty you know usually I ask them that and then tell me about a recent patient interaction those are my two most sensitive questions for specialty identities all right uh Eric um anything else no I don't think so I think that's that's most of the stuff on the anthropology of IR unless you want to talk more about like the history of other specialties or whatnot but <laughs> that's the you know gist <laughs> Yeah. So one, this is fantastic conversation. We, we really appreciate you coming on and talking about all this stuff, but I think that we would love to have you back on in a year or, or like let some time go by and, and I would love to dig into some of these different topics or to see if like, as you're advancing through your training is and and maybe even your, your studies um, with medical anthropology, if your, if your mindset has shifted or you've learned new things like about like the culture of IR as you're kind of living it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit interesting of becoming my own like research subject in a way. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so again, we appreciate you, uh, for coming on uh, great topic today. We really appreciate you coming out. Yeah. I really appreciate you all, you know, inviting me out here and also everything that you've been doing. You've had a really nice lineup. I saw the one on burnout just recently. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, all right. So, uh, first thanks to Eric. Uh, second, to the audience, thank you guys for listening. We covered an important topic today. If you guys enjoyed the podcast but want more, check out the show notes on this episode. I'm going to try and have those out as soon as possible. If you guys enjoyed the podcast but want to support the show, here are two easy ways. First, just take one second and press the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening. This helps platforms like iTunes and Spotify know that you, our audience, value what we're doing and you're interested in getting our latest content as we're producing it. Second, if you're really getting value from these podcasts, please go to iTunes and leave us a short written review. This helps us in a lot of different ways. Plus, we really enjoy getting the feedback. That about wraps things up. We'll see you next time. Thanks again. <laughs>